Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome in 49ers Live Room. Here's the Catch Live Room, the best kind of live rooms. With Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. Matt, the Philadelphia sandwich. The 49ers just have to eat the last part of bread. They, they started with Seattle, then they went to the meat, Philadelphia, and now they're playing the Seahawks again. So uh, it, it's interesting. I think this is going to be a test of the 49ers maturity because they're so much of this is set up for a potential letdown right you're coming off of an emotional win you just beat seattle really really bad and and the emotional win that i just talked about was uh on the east coast so it involved a late night flight back home something that could have a little bit of a toll on your body so i think it's up to the 49ers veteran leaders this week matt to make sure that they keep this steady sailing make sure that focus and that effort is there because we've seen a lot of uh, teams in the past 49ers teams included uh trip up a little bit not necessarily lose but but lose their edge and play a game that's a lot closer than it has to be in these types of circumstances yeah i agree i mean it's got a trap game written all over it um you know the the seahawks played on thursday so uh, 49ers coming back from an emotional East Coast game. The, the the Seahawks have another rest game. And to me, I mean, the the vibe and the rhetoric and all of the um, adulation and the national media, this, that, and the other that the 49ers are getting right now is so similar to what they were receiving after the, the Cowboys in week five. Um, you know, Trent Williams is on national television. Debo Samuel is making the rounds, this, that, and the other. Uh, that that same thing happened after week five. And then we all know going into week six in Cleveland, Cleveland coming off uh, a bye week. So they had the rest advantage. Um, and uh, the 49ers end up losing that game and then the next two. So uh, I think that the 49ers are very aware of that. Uh, but I also think that they were girding themselves against a letdown in Cleveland. And it still happened. Uh, so um, it'll be interesting. I mean, um, I think you and I both agree that there's a a big uh, talent disparity between the Seahawks and the 49ers. The 49ers should w- win this. I think the Seahawks have lost three in a row. Uh, they played well um, in, in certain phases in Dallas uh, on the, on that Thursday night last week. Uh, so, I mean, there are some ways I think that the 49ers can lose this, but, uh, boy, if, uh, they just take care of business, they are the superior team. Yeah. I don't think they lost to Cleveland because they were lacking focus or something like that. They came out of the game, marched right down the field, scored a touchdown, but it, it didn't take long for Trent Williams to get hurt. Uh, it didn't take long at all for Debo Samuel to get hurt. And then Christian McCaffrey got hurt and they were still in position to win the game. I mean, I, uh, one of Brock Purdy's most impressive drives of the season was playing without either of those three guys healthy. I know Trent tried to tough it out, but Debo and Christian McCaffrey were already out. 
And that Browns defense has been historically good at home this year. They, they've fallen off a cliff on the road. They just got lit up by the Rams. But at home, the Browns have been tough. And Purdy drove the 49ers downfield, and Moody missed the field goal at the end. So to me, the, the 49ers, there's been one variable that has determined whether or not uh, they blow teams out, and that has been health. If they're healthy, they're winning by 20-plus, like literally. Their, their nine wins have come by over 20 points on average. So I think that uh, obviously a maturity test, that's why I brought it up. I think it's always a, a question coming off of big wins like this. But this team, Matt, I think has given us every reason to, to not doubt them, right? To believe that, that they will be able to head on out there and deliver. Because, again, the, the failures of this team have all been tied to injuries. And right now, none of their biggest stars is is hurt their their biggest stars are all available and i think that's that's the key for the 49ers um i was going to point out that eric armstead not expected to play in this game um i think that's a big deal it will however give uh javon kinlaw a chance to really shine for the first time this season he's been sort of a, a 20 snap a game guy um but uh he's coming off a a nice game sort of a a payback game of sorts uh in philadelphia he looked good. So I think that, um, you know, if he's sort of seizing his opportunity, uh, Kinlaw is going to be a free agent at the end of the season. He's basically uh, advertising himself to other teams at this point, you would think. Uh, but a great opportunity for him to shine for Kalia Davis, who I thought looked, uh, you know, exactly like the, they thought he would. A guy who gets off the snap really quickly. Um, he's got some, uh, some burst. He's got fresh legs, <laughs> hasn't played all year until the Philadelphia game, but both of those guys, uh, two guys coming off of ACLs, um, are going to be in the spotlight a little bit more than usual against the Seahawks. Uh, Spencer Burford, uh, he didn't play in the last Seahawks game because he had a knee injury. He, he injured the other knee, uh, and he's iffy for the game. Uh, Ross Dwelly won't play. Uh, Daryl Luter probably won't play Elijah Mitchell. He's up in the air with a knee injury. That's a little strange. Uh, I thought David, uh, so yesterday the 49ers in order to make room for Logan Ryan, the safety, uh, they cut Ty Davis price, uh, third round running back from last year. And, uh, today it's revealed that another running back, Elijah Mitchell has a, uh, has a knee injury. So <laughs> they cut. Ty Davis Price, even though they're a little bit uh, wobbly at injury, this, uh, at injury at running back this week, we don't know the severity of, of Mitchell's knee, but still, um, it was a, a bit of a curious move, I thought, because you have uh, Dwelly dealing with a high ankle sprain, and I thought that Dwelly might have gone on IR in order to create room for Logan Ryan, but instead they cut Ty Davis Price. How do you, how do you see that? How do you interpret that uh, transaction? Well, they have to have room for Zach Ertz, right? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, no, that that's. I know you reported today that that's a possibility. Zach Ertz, the Danville native, the Stanford product, and Ross Dwelly has the high ankle sprain. So if if they do sign Zach Ertz, and and I think you said that that might not happen until next week. Zach Ertz has to make a decision at some point, but he might hold off. If that does happen, though. I think the Dwelly spot is perfect for that. You put Ross Dwelly on IR um, if and when you do that. Now, the thing is, I think IR is a minimum of four games. So if they are going to IR Ross Dwelly, maybe maybe you try to do that sooner rather than later, just in case you need to get him back off of that list uh, sooner rather than later. But I, I did think it was interesting that Mitchell got hurt, that, that Mitchell is hurt while Ty Davis Price got cut however it probably is a clue that mitchell's injury is not a severe one and two it's also a clue that they just weren't happy with uh what how ty davis price was performing whether it be pass protection or picking up some sort of the playbook or maybe they just gave up on on developing him as a receiver because that's something that you have to absolutely have to be able to do now that christian mccaffrey is the centerpiece of this team you can't you can't enter the game to spell Christian McCaffrey and not have uh, a receiving threat in, in your arsenal because you just hinder the entire offense if, if that happens. And 
Uh, maybe they determined based on what they saw at practice that Jeremy McNichols is on the practice squad right now is above Ty Davis price on the pecking order. Maybe they like him more and they said, you know, we got, we have to fit Logan Ryan on this team somehow. So we'll, we'll cut Ty Davis price who's completely fallen out of favor. And, you know, another thing is that Logan Ryan, the veteran defensive back came into the building. Uh, I, I'm guessing yesterday and um, maybe, maybe today, but he was out of practice. His locker, Matt was TDP's former locker. And he also took Ty Davis price's former number 32. So that indicated to us right away, oh, they're not even planning to bring TDP back to the practice squad. Because if you're going to do the whole cut and practice squad signing, you just keep that locker open because you're going to bring that player back and you definitely keep his jersey number available. But Logan Ryan has his jersey number now and it doesn't look like anything is imminent. So that they must have been truly displeased with Ty Davis Price. Well, he's got two very hard to please uh, coaches at running back, Bobby Turner. Uh, and, and Turner's protege. So those guys, you know, basically, um, you know, decided, uh, I think you're right that, um, they didn't, uh, they didn't think that he had a future here, uh, which is, uh, I'm surprised by it because I thought that he ran well, um, uh, this summer. Uh, I thought he looked really good in training camp. Uh, remember Frank Gore was, was on hand and he was watching from the sideline, and he was just gushing about Ty Davis Price. Um, but I, it could be that it's all the other things that that go into being a running back. It's uh, it's pass protection, it's special teams, it's catching the ball, it's stuff that uh, Kyle Shanahan was talking about today with um, as far as uh, Christian McCaffrey and how he's such a um, detail oriented guy to the point where he he sells the play. Fakes like like nobody else does uh, that level of detail. Maybe it's that. I mean, it's all speculation because what we were hearing was all positive from the coaches about Ty Davis Price, and what we were seeing on the field was all positive too. I I, I thought actually he was a better runner than uh, Jordan Mason, uh, just a more talented runner. Um, you know, faster. He had more moves. Mason is a uh, a bull in a china shop, um, which is uh, effective at the end of games. Uh, so it, it is a bit uh, surprising. Uh, it didn't look like anybody picked uh, Davis Price up off of waivers. So he's available. He's out there. Um, and uh, you got to wonder where he's going to end up. So uh, a couple of questions about Ertz. I mean, what I know is that the 49ers have been in on Ertz since uh, he was uh, released by the Cardinals. Uh, they're one of uh, four teams that are um, kind of uh, looking at him most closely. but. It, it can't be too closely because he's still available. Uh, so um, it doesn't seem like any of these teams, including the Eagles, are champing at the bit to sign him. But uh, the 49ers definitely are in the mix. And it, it makes sense from a standpoint of uh, he's from this area. He played at Stanford. Uh, he wants to join a winner. Uh, they just dumped the other team from the NFC that he's considering, the Eagles. So. If he's thinking about, uh, you know, which team has a stronger chance of going to the Super Bowl, boy, that that seemed to be on display on Sunday. Um, you know, he's not a he's not a special teams guy. Um, he's not a guy that the 49ers want to bring in and, and make uh, into a blocker in the role that Charlie Warner has right now. So I think that that's it. I mean, people say, oh, well, Ross Dwelly is hurt right now and he's a tight end why don't you just bring in another tight end um it's not a one-for-one one deal uh in in that fashion dwelly plays a lot of snaps on special teams he has a bit role on offense obviously hurt uh Ertz would like a uh significant role on offense and a uh and a bit role on special teams so i think that's the reason why uh, 49ers the eagles who have uh who have got it at uh, tight end, that's why nobody has kind of leapt at the opportunity to sign him at that at this point. Um, it, he should make a make a uh, decision on where to go early next week. Well, and uh, I mean, it would be a hell of a story, and I think it would be a, a locker room boost, probably more than it would be an on field boost. To, to, uh, I think at this point, the 49ers are. Uh, we saw with the Logan Ryan signing, they're they're willing to bring in a vet that has Super Bowl winning experience and they're doing everything they can 
to fortify the ship for the ride ahead. And there will be adversity. There, you know, there inevitably, no matter how good you are, winning a Super Bowl is something that uh, it's an experiential thing, right? That you, the reason why the Patriots were able to build a dynasty was because they had Tom Brady in there and they had other players in there who built off of each subsequent Super Bowl victory and then they and each subsequent playoff victory and they were able to build a juggernaut that, that could withstand adversity on an annual basis and always put themselves in the mix. Uh, the 49ers, they, they have a core of players that went through the ringer in 2019, 2021, 2022. Didn't go all the way, but got close. So now the 49ers are interested in adding personalities and presences into the locker room that ha- have gone all the way. And Logan Ryan is somebody that has that on his resume, two times with the Patriots. Zach Ertz scored a game-winning touchdown, a Super Bowl-winning touchdown for the Eagles against the Patriots in 2017. So I could see why the 49ers would be interested, and you could see why Ertz would be interested going the other direction. If this is the swan song for him, he's going to retire after this season, well, then you're going to want to go to the team that you could retire and right off into the sunset with a Super Bowl ring with, right? And, And it happens to be the hometown team for Zach Ertz. But... Yeah, I mean, you look at the tight end construction for the 49ers, Matt. Obviously, Kittle is the star. Uh, the supporting cast is Charlie Warner and Ross Dwelly, with Warner being more the blocker, and I guess Dwelly will get the occasional catch. Ertz would fit into that Dwelly role. He's not in his prime anymore, hasn't been for a few years. But I covered him at Stanford, and boy, the, the body control that Zach Ertz could show on some of those catches at his size it was never the, the fast tight end. He's, doesn't have the kind of speed that Kittle has, but the body control has been there. The catchability has been there. And I don't, I think those things don't really go away um, as quickly as something like straight line speed, which is why I think he's been able to make a uh, really long career out of this, right? He's been in the league for a long time. It's a decade in the league. Nothing to scoff at, right? That, that kind of experience, just the fact that he's been in the league so long and he can he, he could impart knowledge about how schemes have changed and he's seen so many defenses. That just in the film room, Matt, I think would be really valuable to the 49ers. Do you uh, remember the uh, tight end that the 49ers drafted in 2013? 2013 49ers draft. So this is before I was covering the teams. This is still bulky and Harbaugh. It must have been, it must have been somebody terrible who didn't pan out, right? The, Delaney Walker is older than that. Um, they drafted Vance McDonald. Oh, uh, Vance dropped a lot they, of uh, He ended up being, um, uh, I remember uh, Jim Harbaugh giving Vance McDonald um, Mike Ditka's number w- with the inference that you're, we're going to turn you into a Ditka-like uh, tight end. <laughs> Boy, Vance McDonald was not that. And, uh, Zach Ertz ended up uh, outperforming him by a long, uh, a long shot. Um, Ertz was picked 35th overall. Um, the 49ers didn't, let's see, they picked Vance McDonald 55th overall. But I seem to remember that they had an opportunity to uh, draft Ertz at, at one point, and they traded back. Um, I forget how it worked, but... Um, yeah, it turned out that Zach Ertz was uh, slightly better than uh, Vance McDonald. So this would be uh, a way of making amends for that oversight back uh, in 2013. Well, and so was that, do you think, Balky's decision? Because Harbaugh recruited Zach Ertz to Stanford and loved Zach Ertz at Stanford. I wonder if that was part of the rift between Balky and Harbaugh. Maybe Harbaugh wanted his old guy and, and Balky said no. It was the draft where they got Eric Reed uh, late in the first or midway through the first round, and then they got Tank Carradine early in the second, and then they got uh, Vance McDonald late in the second. Um, I think they could have gotten Ertz at the Carradine pick, uh, and I think that was it. So all, all three of those guys did not pan out. In fact, um, the year after they drafted Eric Reed in the first round, they drafted Jimmy Ward, another safety in the first round. So uh, the the 2013 draft. Uh, not a great draft for the 49ers, um, especially early on. Uh, none of those guys uh, had a long-term future here. Ward, speaking of long-term with the 49ers, Ward was the longest-tenured 49er up until 
he walked in free agency to, to the Houston Texans. Now the longest tenured 49er is Eric Armstead, who obviously we're talking about for injury purposes. And, you know, maybe I need to amend what I said earlier. I said the 49ers aren't missing any of their big stars. Uh, I don't think that's respectful enough of Eric Armstead. I think he belongs in that big star category for this team. I mean, since week 10, since Dubai, he's been the second most productive defensive tackle pass rushing behind only Chris Jones. He's been ahead of Aaron Donald. He's playing phenomenal football this year, Matt. And, you know, Eric Armstead is the player who I think a lot of people forget about, myself included, in some of these discussions of the 49ers A-listers. Because the first couple years of his career, he dealt with a lot of injuries. And he was a little bit of a late bloomer, right? But by 2019, he was really firing on all cylinders. In 2021, he single-handedly saved the 49ers' run defense when he moved inside. And I know 2022 was an injury-filled campaign, but he's back at it here in 2023. And overcoming the loss of Armstead probably for a couple weeks based on what we heard from Kyle Shanahan today, it's going to be no easy task. I think the 49ers are just happy they're big favorites over the next couple weeks. But I think they certainly will need Armstead back for that December 25th game against the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, I think that he is underappreciated. He's such a smart player, um, does not get fooled by screens and things like that, sniffs those things out all the time. Um, and you're right. I mean, it's going to be um, a, uh, a real challenge. And, and that's why I think it's a great showcase for Kinlaw, because um, I think that uh, the TV announcers, for example, on on Sunday will kind of stress that is that uh, he's stepping in for this veteran presence. A guy that's got five sacks, a guy that has uh, worked really well with Javon Hargrave this year, really complimented each other spectacularly um, in some games. And um, he's got to step up. And like I said, I mean, uh, Kinlaw started to do that in Philadelphia. It was a good launching point for this game against the, uh, the Seahawks. Seahawks don't have a great, offensive line there should be opportunities to be disruptive um anytime that uh kinlaw has a one-on-one uh matchup he drives his opponent backwards and and i realized that that wasn't the case in philadelphia in january uh, when he got double teamed he was being moved backwards um to a large degree but um uh i think that um he's uh mostly rectified that this season He's, he's healthy. healthy. He's, he's, he's healthy, healthy right? right? The, the knee's yeah. healthy. I mean, he's not as uh, uh, he's more streamlined. He, he doesn't look as heavy as he has in the past. He's moving better, basically. Um, and uh, you know, he's he doesn't have quite the Eric Armstead uh, silhouette at this point, but he's moving in that direction. He's he's kind of longer, leaner, uh, using his length better. Um, you know, there was, I was joking about Nick Bosa about, uh, Brock Purdy's thighs and Purdy has bigger thighs than you would expect. He's got powerful thighs. You saw that when, uh, the, the Eagles tried to tackle him on that second down run, um, in the, uh, early in the second quarter and the the cornerback just bounced right off of him. Um, and I said, um, who's got the biggest thighs? Is it, uh, Javon Hargrave? And he said, oh, no, no, no. It's, uh. It's Kinlaw. Kinlaw is the king of the thighs in the 49ers locker room. So he's got strength there. Uh, he's just got to figure out how to use it and not get too top heavy. Um, but uh, I think that that's happening. Um, Malik H., a, a frequent question asker on these live room, uh, wants to know about Ndamukong and Sue. He asked that question in uh, my mailbag this week, too. And I said I thought the 49ers' interest in Sue would kind of hinge on Armstead's injury. If it's a long-term injury, if he has to go on IR, I thought that that was a real possibility. And Dominican Sue is still a free agent. He joined the Eagles late last season. It came down between the Eagles and the 49ers, and he chose Philadelphia. Ended up being a good choice because um, he had a shot at another Super Bowl ring. But, um, boy, if he wants to kind of follow suit this year he would think that uh the 49ers would be his choice uh david do you see any um kind of uh reason that uh that sue might join the 49ers again i would echo what you said if eric armstead is out for a longer time and they need 
that big body to, to fill in, then sure. But they have Kinlaw this year, and they have him healthy, as opposed to last season when Kinlaw was just a kind of a developmental wild card coming off the injury, wasn't fully healthy. So, and, and again, he's he's a player who has a similar body type and playing style to Indomitian Sue. He uses that massive frame, a lot of power. Though I don't think it's as pronounced of a need this year. And uh, obviously, Clea Davis is also a defensive tackle on this team. He had a sack. Speaking of that defensive line, we have a good question from Joel T. He said, David, you were critical of the Bills' restrained pass rush against the Eagles, yet the 49ers employed it with success against the Eagles. Why did the 49ers, what did the 49ers do differently to make their strategy successful? Well, first of all, I, I wasn't critical of the Bills' pass rush. I just uh, noted that I didn't think the 49ers would, would use the same strategy because I didn't think that the 49ers had what it took on the back end to, to cover for that long against the Eagles. I knew they were good on the back end against Philadelphia matchup wise, but boy, it took a lot of guts, Matt, from the 49ers to employ this strategy of containment instead of trying to sack Jalen Hurts because he held the ball for 3.6 seconds on average, which is the second longest time in the NFL this season. And that's a lot of strain to put your coverage under. And I just didn't think that the 49ers who had been a, rush over coverage type of team for so many years would turn this into a coverage over rush type of game. But that shows you the evolution that the 49ers have made under Steve Wilkes and where Wilkes deserves a lot of credit, right? He, the defensive backs have made big, big strides, especially since the bye week. Ambry Thomas actually has the fifth highest grade on PFF of any cornerback since the bye. So there's Jalen Johnson, guys like that, like top corners in the game. And then right there with them, it's Ambry Thomas. So when you have Thomas playing the way he, he is, when you have Charvarius Ward leading the league in pass breakups, and when you have Diamond Lenore decleating people to, to end games, uh, then you have the corner play that's good enough to rush the way the 49ers did. And they executed a lot better than the Bills did. The Bills still let Jalen Hurts run. The Bills gave up, a, you know, obviously a lot of efficient plays to Jalen Hurts to blow their lead and, and lose that football game. The 49ers didn't give up anything, really, uh, w- when it mattered in this game. There was a lot of garbage yardage from Hurts, but the Eagles only scored 12 points before garbage time. So I, I wasn't critical of the Bills' approach. I, I just thought that the 49ers wouldn't employ it because I didn't think the 49ers had that much belief in their secondary. But that's where I was proven wrong, is that they had a ton of belief in their secondary, and uh, it was rightful belief, Matt, because of how well that back end is playing. Yeah, I mean, it was very similar to the Bills, um, uh, with the exception of the fact that the Bills couldn't stop Hurts from running, including on the game-winning score. And the 49ers really uh, were, were better at keeping him hemmed in. What was it, seven rushes for 20 yards? I mean, yeah, seven very... for twenty, and then as a whole, Philadelphia only—and this is including Hertz—they were only two point six yards per carry. So, yeah, right. That's that's the difference. I, mean, I think he had sixty-five yards against the Bills. I mean, that's that's the huge difference, um, you know. And and he had the Jalen Hurts runs, like the like the the dagger runs, the backbreakers, and and they with the uh, the the Eagles just didn't have those plays, with the exception of that. Uh, brotherly shove touchdown in the third quarter which was sort of the crescendo or the last gasp i would say of uh, of the eagles and their fans and lincoln financial field that that was sort of the apex of um the night for them and then the 49ers answered with um that uh, that touchdown uh, run and then the eagles fans started to go home uh, they were they were defeated at that point uh, but i agree i mean it, it's so counter to who the 49ers are. And I asked Nick Bosa that today. Uh, it's another question I had gotten in my mailbag, which was, okay, it works so well against the Eagles and Jalen Hurts. Is it something that they would uh, do against Kyler Murray, a guy that's beaten the 49ers in the past with his legs, or Lamar Jackson, who's uh, one of the most talented rushers in the league? And Bosa's gut reaction was, no, no, this is something that was very specific to the Eagles. And I think it's, you know, uh, it boils down to the 49ers betting that Jalen Hurts can't beat them with his arm, um, whereas maybe uh, Lamar Jackson could. 
so it'll be interesting to see whether it comes up again this season, this regular season. Uh, if they play the Eagles in the playoffs, you can better believe that it's going to come up. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it's going to be fascinating to see, Matt, if the Cowboys use the 49ers formula. Nick Bosa very publicly said, I hope the Cowboys watch the tape. The 49ers are cheering for the Eagles on Sunday night because if Philadelphia loses, uh, the 49ers are cheering for the Cowboys this Sunday night because if Philadelphia loses, the 49ers with a win would be in that number one spot and they'd control their destiny to the bye week and, and home field advantage. But Bosa obviously believes that whatever the 49ers did, and, and we know what they did, they, they played contain on Jalen Hurts, they didn't go for sack glory, and they plastered on the back end. They believe that that will work against Jalen Hurts. And they want the Dallas Cowboys to watch the tape and apply the same principles in this game. Dallas is going to have to change the way it plays, too, because Dallas sack hunts a lot, right? Dallas is extremely aggressive against uh, against opposing offensive tackles. Micah Parsons crashes that edge like no other. That's why that pass-rushing productivity score for him is number one year in and year out because he is always hunting for blood against the quarterback. And their, their DBs hunt for blood, too. Those guys try to jump some of those throws, some of those out patterns. That's why you've seen Deron Bland. What does he have, like five or six pick sixes already this year? But it also makes Dallas vulnerable to um, throws that that beat their aggressiveness downfield, and it's a boom or bust type of defense. So Nick Bosa urging Dallas to not gamble on as many booms against the Eagles, and if they play a more restrained style, he thinks they can choke the life out of Philadelphia just like the 49ers did. The Cowboys are three-and-a-half-point favorites, Matt. So that's going to be interesting this weekend. The 49ers are ten-and-a-half-point favorites against Seattle, so you expect them to win, but obviously nothing is guaranteed in the NFL Assuming the 49ers hold serve and do their job, they can then watch TV on Sunday night, and they might end this weekend as the number one team in the NFC standings. Well, that's, that's the goal, and that leads to uh, a question that we're getting uh, from Alex Z. He uh, wonders, do the 49ers kind of want to go back to Philly in the playoffs? I would say absolutely not. I mean, because that would mean that the Eagles have a higher seed, that the Eagles probably have the number one seed. I don't think the 49ers are uh, intimidated by that, but boy, I, I think that they really want that buy. Um, you know, for the rest factor, and, and my point that I've been making whenever I'm asked about this is it it just cuts down on all the weird things that can happen to a team uh, in a game. And and the 49ers have, have seen that over the last decade or, or decade plus uh the the freak turnovers uh i won't mention the punt returner but i think we all know who i'm talking about uh there have been big injuries in the playoffs uh things like that i mean it just it just removes an opportunity for something like that to happen you only have to win two games to go to the super bowl versus winning three so um i i think for sure that the 49ers are hunting uh, intently for this uh, number one seed to the point, to your point, w- w- that Nick Bosa is tipping off the 49ers uh, mortal enemy, the Cowboys, <laughs> on ways to beat the Eagles. Uh, and, and that game is going to be fascinating. I, I hope I can write my story fast enough on, on Sunday uh, to, to go home and, and watch some of that Cowboys-Eagles game because uh, it, it'll be a good one, and um, the 49ers will be watching it intently as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy that this is a 105 start instead of the 125 start. That buys us an extra 20 minutes. Then you just have to help the officials. Don't try to make it about them, and, and they let the game flow continue, because if you see too many flags, then that's, that's where you ultimately start to bleed into Sunday night football. So hopefully this game can go by briskly. On Sunday, we can head down to the locker room. We can do our thing, wrap up the game, and uh, be able to, to catch the Cowboys and the Seahawks in the second half at some point after. I mean, the, sorry, why did I say the Seahawks? The, Cow- the Cowboys and the Seahawks just played the Cowboys and the Eagles in the second half. The Seahawks played the Cowboys, and the Seahawks kept up with Dallas. And I don't think it was a great look for Dallas. So you look at what Dallas has done all year, Matt. They've blown out bad teams. And then the 
semi-good teams, and I'm not really sure where to categorize Philadelphia yet because that's a well below average defense. So maybe Philadelphia falls into the semi-good category as well because the advanced metrics certainly don't like them as much as their record. The advanced metrics suggest that they've gotten a little lucky in, in, in a few games. But but it was a close game between Dallas and Philly and a close game between Dallas and and Seattle, whom I think we can agree is, is semi-good. The one truly good team, the proven good team that the Cowboys have played has been the 49ers, and they lost 42 to 10. So, um, you know, maybe it, maybe this is just a, a roundabout way of, of saying that the 49ers are on a different level than everybody else in the NFC, but that's what the numbers certainly suggest. And if there's one team in the entire league that has rivaled the 49ers' advanced efficiency, it's Baltimore. And Baltimore's coming in on the 25th. So the storylines, to me, it are fascinating, Matt, because right now Brock Purdy is the MVP favorite. But uh, there are people that still want to see more from him. Uh, he's number six in the, early MB, uh, in the early Pro Bowl voting, which I think is crazy given how good he's been this year. But it just so happens that the voting counts more on December 24th and 25th on social media. It like, counts double on those two days. And all the players and coaches vote on December 29th. So when you look at this, it's all lining up for December 25th to be potentially even a legacy game, right? You don't see many legacy games in the regular season, but if the MVP award is on the line, which it might be because of how good the 49ers and the Ravens both are, everybody needing Purdy to make one more final statement, man, primetime against the Ravens on Christmas, all the chips seem to be falling into that basket, right? And the 49ers now just want to hold serve against Seattle and Arizona over the next two weeks to set up that opportunity on Monday Night Football Christmas Day against the Ravens. Yeah, and uh, another opportunity for Purdy to play on national television and, and win over admirers there. I mean, the uh, the way the Pro Bowl voting goes, everybody knows this, but the fans count as a third of the total. The players count as a third, and the coaches do. So coaches and players will, will swing it one way or another. I remember last year, uh, Jake Brendel, for example, was ninth uh, among centers at the very end of the, the fan voting uh, process, and then he ends up being an alternate. And, and that kind of opened my eyes. Uh, you know, when, when the, the coaches and the players are saying that this guy is really good, um, that's, that's probably more – um, meaningful than uh, than the fan vote uh, at that point. So um, it'll it'll be interesting. Uh, Mike Sando does that quarterback tears segment uh, before every season. And and what was he? Uh, Purdy was in the third tier. I think he was third. Um, you know, despite the the marvelous rookie season he had, there were a lot of people that were sort of uh, withholding. Uh, praise uh, because it was such a small sample size. Now, now we're at a season plus with him, and um, he seems to rise to the occasion every every chance that he gets. Uh, so uh, I think that'll be interesting. I, I think uh, Jalen Hurts makes the Pro Bowl. I think Dak Prescott makes the Pro Bowl. And I think Brock Purdy makes the Pro Bowl. But um, it'll be interesting to see whether that perception uh, oh, he's just uh, a, a late round guy who happens to have, have lucked out and joined a, a loaded team with a great play caller. Uh, whether that changes, I mean, people have been been trying to explain that um, you know it, it's just not uh, uh, sheer luck that's uh, kind of driving this ship. It's it's Purdy's play, but um, perceptions are very hard to change. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, what is it, late December when, when these decisions are made? Yeah, and at this point, if, if he continues at the rate that he's been going, Matt, it, I think MVP is the only fair award for Brock Purdy. I'm sorry, but but the efficiency that he has shown this year, and it shows up on tape with the anticipation that he's throwing with, the pressure that he's beating. I mean, I think that the, the analysis that blows my mind the most is the graph where you see the 49ers – pass protection charted against Purdy's efficiency and their pass protection is better than only a handful of teams this year. They, they haven't been good in pass protection. It's been the one weakness and he's overcome it. Even on the touchdown pass to Debo Samuel that a lot of people were trying to say was an easy throw, the 48 yarder, the first one, 
It wasn't an easy throw. Josh Sweat was about to pulverize him from from the backside. And and the defensive tackle had, had pushed one of the 49ers' interior offensive linemen into Purdy's lap. So, I mean, it th- th- this is the kind of stuff that illustrates why previous quarterbacks, not named Garoppolo, because Garoppolo was, was, was deficient for the 49ers, but he wasn't at this level. But why Nick Mullins and Bethard and uh, Hoyer, those guys, they... they, they they didn't succeed within the system. And it was because it takes toughness. It takes a quick trigger, a release, uh, and 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 it takes that, that vision and that know where to go with the football. And Brock Purdy has done all that, and he's improved a lot over what Garoppolo was bringing the 49ers because he's more accurate downfield, and he's got more mobility. And, I mean, there was the run in the first half when he got away from Hassan Reddick that showed you the burst that he has. And anyway, the, the, the numbers that Purdy is putting up are historically good. Uh, for example, adjusting net yards per attempt, this is on pace to be the third highest ever behind 2004 Peyton Manning and 2011 Aaron Rodgers. Both of those guys won the MVP award. Uh, you go to the fact that uh, scoring six touchdowns in a row, being the quarterback at the helm of an offense that scores six touchdowns in a row. The last time the 49ers did that was in 1992. Steve Young was the QB of that team. He won the MVP that year. By the way, Mike Shanahan was the offensive coordinator. The last time that's happened in the NFL was 2019. The Baltimore Ravens, six touchdowns in a row. Their quarterback, Lamar Jackson, won the MVP. So when you just look at results of what's going on, the the quarterback, who obviously is the most important position... The quarterback of the team that has done this historic stuff has always won the MVP. This would be the first time in NFL history that the quarterback of the team doing this historic stuff, putting up these types of numbers, hasn't won the MVP, right, if, if Purdy doesn't get it. It's still too early to crown him, but the, that's why I say the rate at which he's playing right now, if he can sustain it and he'll have a good closing argument opportunity against the Ravens on, on primetime, if he can sustain it, then I think it's only fair that, that he's at the top of that discussion, Matt. You know, I, I do, too. I mean, um, to me, what stands out, it, it used to be that 60% completion rate, and this was 15 years ago, but uh, that that was the rate that you, you shoot for as a quarterback. You, you're either above 60% or you're below it. Good quarterbacks are above it. He's, he's now in the 70% range. Um, so the, the efficiency is, uh, is unbelievable. And it, it just speaks to how quickly and um, efficiently he sees things. And that's, he's doing this despite um, not great pass protection all the time. Uh, so that sort of flies in the face of this notion that, well, he's surrounded by extraordinary talent everywhere. Um, not really. I mean, he's got a sort of a young uh, unestablished offensive line aside from his left tackle. So, um, you know, I, I would point out, just to play devil's advocate, that the, the players that you were just noting, the Aaron Rodgers, the, the Peyton Mannings, uh, they were established or they were well-known commodities. You know, first-round picks, first overall pick in the case of uh, Peyton Manning. Um, and, uh, Purdy arrives with a very, very different pedigree. And I just wonder whether in sort of a popular vote situation that is going to play against him. Um, and if it does, I mean, I can only think that that sort of helps the 49ers as a, as a, in a team wide, uh, situation because it would be unprecedented and it would. Um, be a big chip on their shoulder as they go through the playoffs and um, strive for a Super Bowl. So um, I don't know. Uh, it, it, like I said, it'll be very, very interesting to study uh, in these next few weeks. Let's go with one or, or more question. I got, I got one, one quick thought, Matt. Just yeah, go ahead. Just to finish that up, Kurt Warner, 1999, greatest show on turf. He came from bagging groceries to leading. He has the yards per attempt. Uh, record since the merger and Purdy is threatening that record. Warner won the MVP award. Oh, there you go. So, so I think that's good precedent, right? If we talk about an unknown guy coming out of nowhere Um, and, and he had Marshall Falk 
uh, Christian McCaffrey is a Marshall Falk comparison, right? They, they're, they're very similar players as far as their versatility. He had Isaac Bruce, and, and he had Mike Martz, the genius offensive coordinator, and Warner won the MVP. So if that happened, then, then I think Purdy has a really, really strong argument for something similar to happen again. But go ahead. That, that was my yeah. final thought. No, that's a great point. I mean, and uh, some people have uh, drawn that illusion. Uh, Purdy is uh, the, the, the latter-day uh, Kurt Warner. Um, I'm looking for a good question to end on. Uh, somebody, when we were talking about Vance McDonald, somebody noted that the 49ers also passed on uh, Travis Kelsey uh, that year, too. So not, maybe, not, maybe not the, uh, the, the, uh, the draft that Trent Baalke wants to put at the top of his, his resume there. Um, anyway, let's talk about uh, Sunday and the Seahawks and, uh, you know, the, the mere fact that we really haven't talked a lot about them, I think, is the, is the one kind of uh, 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 caution for this week. Because, you know, the, the, the 49ers have gotten swept up in, in the Eagles and it's still happening. Uh, but what do you see happening on Sunday when Eagles visit? Oh, I mean, sorry, uh, see, I just did it. I just did it. I, I was mixing it Seahawks up, too. Was, I, I was saying Seahawks <laughs> instead of Eagles and Eagles instead of Seahawks. It's the Philadelphia They're both birds of prey. Yeah. I mean, the 49ers are bird hunting right now, right? They they went Seahawks, Eagles, Seahawks, and then it's going to be the Cardinals, and then it's going to be the Ravens. So it's, it's a stretch of uh, bird opponents for the 49ers. Anyway, um, I, I think the 49ers will win. Um, I think you'd be crazy to think they'll lose this game, but uh, upsets do happen. My, my question is, is this going to be an ugly win? Is this going to be a sloppy win? Or is this going to be they just, you know, kick the crap out of C- a Seattle type of win? Because they're obviously capable of doing that. They they did it on Thursday night in Seattle. And I think that in, in normal circumstances, uh, that's that's what normally is going to happen. I mean, they, they routed Seattle three times last year, and I'm even counting the Thursday night game in Seattle that I think was only a seven-point win, but I think it was artificially kept close by the Nick Bosa roughing the passer penalty that that nullified the Diomino Lenore pick six. Um, so the 49ers are a whole lot better than Seattle. They've dominated them up front, especially D-line on O-line, for several straight meetings. Um, the The issue here is that Seattle has extra rest, and that's something I don't think we mentioned at the top of the show. And that's on top of the fact that the 49ers um, may, may be in a letdown type of situation. So if the 49ers blow them out, I will be very impressed by this team's maturity. And, uh, you know, I already think the 49ers will win the Super Bowl if they stay healthy. That, I've already predicted that. I'm on the record saying that I'll only become more convicted in, in that in that prediction, in that belief, if they could blow Seattle out. I, I don't think that, you know, I think winning sloppy would still be good enough, obviously, to, to what this team needs for its goals. But I think that um, you, you wouldn't be as impressed with the 49ers if they win sloppy, just because that's, you know, uh, that, that's the, the NFL average. A good team, you know, will play down to the level of its competition if the circumstances aren't perfectly set up for them. But these truly great teams, Matt, they're able to step up and just go and kick the crap out of somebody, uh, even if even if uh, it's not all perfectly set up for them, even if it is a letdown kind of situation. I actually think the 2022 49ers were showing true signs of a great team because over that 12-game win streak, they showed up every single week. Maybe with the exception of the game against the Raiders, but they still, I mean, the, the flurry they put on in the second half of that game was really impressive, but that that team up until Brock Purdy got hurt against Philadelphia really had uh, the the markings of of one of the greats, and they couldn't finish it. So let's see if that twenty uh, this twenty twenty three team can deliver. So I think the Forty ers will. I think they'll win by about two touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, looking back at the Thanksgiving night game, look where the uh, Seahawks points came from. Um, there there were lapses on the Forty ers special teams that led to one field goal and then there was the uh the pick six uh so um you know the offense the seattle offense really did nothing and um you know uh, geno smith was coming off an injury and playing on a short week and i think that that uh, had a big effect he was so much better against the cowboys but 
you know, the 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 fatal flaws uh, of of the Seahawks, uh, their offensive line, sort of the middle of their defense. Bobby Wagner is not uh, the Bobby Wagner of two thousand and fourteen. Um, Fred Warner is is the Bobby Wagner of two thousand and fourteen. Uh, so I mean, the 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 places to exploit are still there. Uh, they didn't change in the. What what is it? Uh, Sixteen, seventeen game uh, days since uh, that that last game. So um, yeah, I mean, um, I don't know what the score will be. What was it? Thirty one, thirteen. The last time, um, I I think that the Forty ers there's going to be a little bit of a hiccup. But boy, they had a hiccup in the first quarter in Philadelphia and still kind of uh, thumped their opponent there. So uh, they're running on all cylinders. I think it's going to be. 30 to, um, I'm going to give the, the Seahawks 16 points in this one, 30 to 16. Yeah, for a 14 point win. I, I think the 49ers will, I'm just going to say 31, 31 17. Uh, it, right around what you're saying, just a point different for, for both teams. Uh, not, not quite as big of a victory as, as the Thursday night one was, but. Two touchdowns. You know, the 49ers have not, in all their wins, that they've won everything by by double digits, except for that game against the Rams. The Rams kicked that weird field goal at the end. Uh, that was a seven-point win. So a double-digit win in the NFL is wildly impressive. I don't care who you're playing against. I mean, you, winning by double digits is, is tough to do in this league, especially if you're doing it on a week-in and week-out basis. So that's going to be the standard that I use for a blowout in this game. If the 49ers win by more than a score, uh, to me, that's a route in the NFL, and that means that that they've responded to this maturity challenge well. And I'm predicting that they will win by more than a score. We good? All right, there you have it. I, I don't right. think you're going to get much uh, disagreement from uh, the people who are listening right now. Sounds good. All right, well, thank you to you, Matt. Thank you to the listeners. We will talk to you after the 49ers play Seattle. For Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. It's been another Here's the Catch live room. We'll talk to you soon. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.